0: Tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. All right, good day everyone. Welcome back to College Volleyball Weekly. Thanks for clicking in and thanks for all the engagement and support and messages and jumping in and doing the question thing this last this coming week uh, that we're going to be discussing but i've uh, got dan friend of lewis brad ross of uc san diego she's been a little quiet this morning brad because of uc irvine just kidding jay Hossack of george mason and theo edwards of edwards. wow right away right away. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding just kidding i see i see I, I believe it's uh theo in two weeks so uh you know it'll, it'll all be fun we'll have college volleyball weekly matchups the next few weeks so uh but i wanted to talk about a very uh gosh it was just high action week yet again uh capped off by the Outrigger tournament. But I'll let the guys jump in and see if there are any other matches that we want to throw on before we go to our special fan question segment, which we're trying to devote most of our time to if we can. But, um, Dan, any matches stick out this week in Week 10? Yeah, a lot.
1: Uh, certainly, like we're going to talk about the Outrigger, uh, you know, uh great match. Uh, I watched the Hawaii-UCLA match. I think UCLA had some opportunities Uh, and then Hawaii capitalized it certainly at the end of game one Uh, I think the Penn State Hawaii match I think the Penn State UCLA all those are matches we could probably touch base outside of the outrigger though I thought the BYU Ohio State I was curious how that was going to go and you saw BYU come away with two wins uh, which was pretty key another one that's for us conference wise I wanted to see how Ball State would do against Grand Canyon and Grand Canyon swept Ball State so Uh, those were some matches that I kept some eyes. Another one was, um, we always talk about Charleston a little bit. They went and played them out all, went five one time uh, and still won and then won three. So program best 17 wins, I think, for Charleston. So it was certainly uh, on a streak there. And then there was the Loyola McHenry kind of conference match and uh, Loyola squeaked out of there in five uh, in terms of, you know, McHenry was playing some really good volleyball again. Mm -hmm. So uh, I don't know, those are some
0: ones I jumped on a little bit. Let's jump over to Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think for me it was all eyes on that outrigger. Um, probably some of the more exciting volleyball that we've seen, and and uh, also some disappointments in the fact that uh, some of them weren't streamed. Uh, and I think it's actually one of our one of our questions came from a fan in Hawaii um, who was essentially talking about why isn't the host team at a neutral venue? able to host or able to stream matches Um, and i think it's a it's a legitimate question given the fact that uh you know men's volleyball is so reliant on streaming uh you know we don't have we don't have necessarily big tv deals and so you know the stream option is is obviously our our best choice and um it would be nice especially when you have a tournament like the outrigger uh if spectrum sports is not gonna sponsor all of those matches then we got to find a way and we got to make sure that the, you know the best levels of volleyball are being broadcast and that the world can see it because it's definitely worth seeing um but back to the volleyball side of things uh you know i had an opportunity to watch uh the penn state matchup against hawaii and what an awesome match it was and if you back up to the night the night before pfw uh goes up against hawaii and You know, they end up losing in three, but if you were paying attention, they exposed some weaknesses and um, started to make Hawaii look normal, um, like the rest of us, like we can all make mistakes and that mistakes are part of the game. And, uh, you know, I thought they exposed their libero a little bit. And by the time Penn State walked in the gym, they were able to absolutely dominate and, uh, you know, got them out of system a ton, served served the lights out of the ball and I think maybe served it too many times out of bounds in the first set uh, but found a way to get those inbounds with some of the same service pressure and obviously uh served up Hawaii's first loss so excellent tournament and it's just some really really high level volleyball
0: all right great stuff uh, let's jump over to Jay Hosek of uh, George Mason
2: well I, I think they hit
3: all the matches that I was uh going to talk about I and i I too obviously was watching. I think we found out what we've been talking about all year that the top four or five teams are going to beat each other at some point. That they all face off, and and the majority of them are. And that's we learned that it is obviously that that upper echelon, that upper tier. Those are the teams that uh, you know they're they're not infallible. And uh, you know Hawaii is Hawaii. You know how many ever home matches they had. You know wins in a row, whatever was broken and. I think you saw some emotion from a couple of players on on Penn State, which uh, understandable and expected to some degree. But I think what you also saw and Theo touched upon was there's there's some weak spots. And, and, and when I say weak spots, I don't mean like, you know, Achilles heels. It's just, you know, if you can exploit something that may, may not be their biggest strength, you might be able to take advantage of that. And And the serve the serve error ratio for Penn State this past week was pretty high. I was watching the UC Irvine match last week that Penn State was in. Uh, You know, Brett Wildman missed all of his serves in the first set alone. Uh, And and, and part of Penn State's strength is their serving ability. At what point is too many errors too many errors? And I think we found out it's a pretty high number because they're able to side out pretty well. I'm going to touch real quickly, though, upon the streaming thing. I know we're going to get into this later. A Giuseppe Vinci, my boy over there in BYU land, I got an idea for you, another million dollar idea, and here it is. 10%. Probably aren't, Giuseppe, my boy Giuseppe, I love that kid. Uh, You probably aren't going to be able to override any school's ESPN Plus or any other uh, uh, streaming uh, services that they use. However, for maybe the non-streamed matches, you give access to viewers on Volleymetrics to be able to watch from behind the end line. You charge a nominal fee per match. You only have probably 30 matches a year that that might be the case. But if you can give us specific access just to that match for people to watch, I bet you can make a little extra money and buy a few extra tacos with it. I just want 5%. That's all I ask.
0: <laughs> wow. You got your fee, Jay. Hey, I listen, I'm match- the
3: idea guy. I come up with the ideas. I throw them out to the universe and then they kind of happen. And then next thing you know.
1: <laughs> what power five or mid-major women's program isn't finding a way to stream a match. That's not televised. Nobody. So I don't care. There's whatever contracts going on there. Like something's not being done in the background there to make sure that doesn't happen. Cause I I'm not aware of it. You know what I mean? In terms of like on the women's side from that standpoint. So I just don't know why that became an issue and wasn't well, fixed ahead of time.
2: Well, Dan, I, I could tell you as a frustrated Los Angeles native, Spectrum Sports has a handle on both the Dodgers and the Lakers, and I am unable to watch them without Spectrum. I would guarantee that that's happening with Hawaii volleyball in some capacity where they are not allowing anyone else to do that streaming. And that's, it's just wrong. Just flat out wrong. Yeah, it
3: is. It is. It would cost nobody anything to be able to have Volleymetrics link that camera up for a specific match to the public if they want to pay it to watch it. And heck, you never know what could happen in the future with that. But, uh, yeah, saying, that's. You're,
1: you're, I, and I get the pro sport blackout dates. You run into that in Chicago. Does that make sense? But, like, how many college programs are we talking about that have blackout dates in the area?
2: I don't think any <laughs> of us are linked up with cable companies. And I think right. that's, you know, yeah. it's a different different conversation.
1: Right. Yeah. So I think, I don't
0: know. I think <laughs> it's a tough one. So it can be done. And we know, like if you still jump on uh, an older player like Flow Sports, used to do the MPSF tournament, they're actually streaming the Conference Carolinas some NEC matches. I've been seeing some men's matches pop up on their their screens. Like that's an easy setup,
3: you know. Yeah, but what the problem here here's the problem with Flow Sports. They charged an arm and a leg for everything. That's we I understand there's gotta be a paywall, right? In 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 years past. You know, men's volleyball people always complain, we just want to watch, we just want to watch, we'll pay. But we found out there was a pay point where we're like, well, I don't want to pay $25 to watch a match. That doesn't make any sense. And I'm not saying that's what Flow Sports was charging, but there was a point where the people were like, that's too much. I don't want to pay for that. I'll pay, yeah. you know, five bucks or whatever, and it really shouldn't be that big of an issue. But there's a reason why Flow Sports isn't in anybody else's gyms.
0: Yeah, yep. Well, to finish that topic with Brad on a match that caught his eye this week, besides his own matches. Well, I guess you can talk about your own matches, because I'm not going to talk about the matches where I saw
4: you So, <laughs> No, we went up against a really strong Irvine team. And uh, yeah, Francesco Sani uh, had a pretty impressive two nights up against us. Um, and the rest of the team really played really well. Um, but the match that really, really kind of stood out to me was the UH-UCLA um, one, I mean, going into it, that was kind of the match that I, I thought would be, you know, where we would potentially see Hawaii go down and also really get to see what UCLA is made of this season um, at that highest level. And I think this is a match that we'll see at some point um, throughout the national tournament, you know, and in that match, it was pretty impressive um, to see, you know, the battle started off kind of like, Ito David versus, uh, versus Chakas was kind of the, the first matchup that kind of took off and, and played in, in early on in that match. And UCLA started out hot, similar to Penn State, getting early leads up on Hawaii um, in just about every single set, and Hawaii working its way back. And then in the third, fourth set, UCLA subs Rama in. Rama struggles a little bit in serve receive, but he can attack, and he can attack really, really well. And the Rowan-Rama connection um, was pretty impressive. And then you got um, Kuchin, Champlin, steadily now in serve-receive, helping kind of balance, keep UCLA alive in the serve-receive aspect. But then Hawaii serving at the end and then uh, Jakob Tell finishing with a big block um, to seal the match. And to me, that showed a lot about Hawaii and their response from coming back from the Penn State match, being down just about every set, I think, after 20 or close to 20. Um, to be able to bounce back right away and play another top team really is a testament to to those guys' focus, determination, and just kind of like level of process to prep for every single game. So that match really caught my eye, and that was where I spent most of my time watching um, yesterday and this morning. Um, hey, Brad, so, let me ask yeah. you,
1: because I was disappointed in Roland. He gave the first game away. Three one-hand back sets Two of them over the net.
4: Yep. He, uh, the long like, string, the long yeah. string to David, and even he would miss short anytime going across the court. Yeah. Um, miss short, then he was putting our sitters in some bad spots. And really, those medium pass situations, um, there were some better opportunities for him. It's like location was just off by a one or two feet inside and, and really ended up limiting, you know, Knight, Champlin.
1: I just, he overset two of those. One was a, a bet, not a great pass, but I'm just like, it was, it was shocking to me that he was forcing that.
3: How so. dare a true freshman 18-year-old kid make <laughs> any errors whatsoever. <laughs> oh, my.
1: Hey, you know what? Did you watch those three points? I did. I, and again,
3: listen, yeah, they were great, but really? <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry that
1: I hold a college volleyball player 18 or not, Jay. I that know, had but listen. Metal with his Norsaka team to a higher standard in that match. I just was, I was just a little shocked. You know what I mean? We, I'm so sorry we about all that.
2: said that it would come eventually, Dan. There would be a moment yeah. where a big match would happen and a mistake would be made.
3: And That's in front of 10,000 people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I I I'm going to give the kid a little bit of slack. I think yeah, I think you did okay
0: throughout the course of the
1: weekend. This is this is opposite day cuz usually you'd be the one grinding somebody and <laughs> I would be the one giving them slack. Just so you guys.
0: <laughs> 10,000 salty people. No, 10,000 fans and four salty coaches on a screen. That's not a, me. I'm not salty. Right, three, three. I'm
3: not salty at all. I
0: thought it He's was a the voice reason for once. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm going to chip in a little bit there but I think an unsung hero was UCLA's Merrick McHenry because that night against Hawaii 11 kills zero errors 647 ace two solo blocks three block assists I mean this Hawaii team is good offensively they are a powerhouse and he did that as well as contribute like that offensively and that's a good middle look at USA volleyball is looking really good in the future if Merrick McHenry decides to stick with it
2: Well, Rob, those swings were over the top of the block in the deep (laughs) corners of the court. I mean, it was some of his swings were just completely unstoppable.
0: Yep. Yeah, I get it. So, uh, hey, those are some uh, outriggers, a great tournament. We had a Penn State winning out based on the three way first place tie tiebreaker which I thought was a great way to have a tournament with the the best teams. You know, the only way to be better is if it's a national championship in Fairfax, I think, right. Jay, there's your plug. Boom.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, listen, I, I I think the best part about that is it won't be at one o'clock in the morning that I'll have to watch it. It'll be in my gym and I'll get to watch it. I guarantee you two of those matches are going to happen or one of those matches is going to happen again in May uh, in Fairfax. And it's, it's going to be absolutely exciting to watch.
0: Well, it's definitely good stuff. So uh, let's uh, jump forward. If there's if there are no other matches we want to talk about, we can go into our fan questions. Uh, yep, we got a thumbs up. All right. So I got this one from a direct message from a Vincenzo Lopez or Vinny Lopes of Off the Block. So <laughs> <laughs> I said I'd try and hide his identity. And, you know, he's like, I oh, just just throw this in front of the guys. Like, we support everyone who's trying to promote the game. Just an FYI, I've got no kind of, you know, hat in the game. I'm just like, get the game out there. So Vin, Vinny and I and Jay were on College Football Weekly. The, the OG from 2009, which is on the Net Live. Kevin Barnett, thank you for starting it. And uh, we just kept the ball rolling as it uh, transitioned over. But Vinny's question was uh, this. What is a team that has not been nationally ranked at any point this year or last year, but you think is on the rise and could be the next Charleston surprise team to get ranked. Who wants to take a stab?
1: Uh, Damon.
0: Go for that again, Dan. I think you may have uh, dropped out there. Uh, Damon. Damon College. All right. Oh, everyone else is kind of stumped there, huh? I I, was ranked this year. They, they dumped, jumped in at like 15, I believe. So they can't, they're out of it. Right. Yeah. But they are not, they're, they're a program that, you know,
3: obviously recently started and and their coach uh, Don Gleason doing a really nice job recruiting and and pulling kids in. And the fact that they were allowed to be in the NEC conference helps out an awful lot. Um, But he's doing just some really nice things up there. He's a good coach. He's, he's aggressive. He goes after good kids and, you know, if he could, if he could start to pull even more kids from the local Buffalo area, man, that's that program's going to be pretty good. They could become a Cal Baptist of sorts. You know, where where it's, you know, they're gonna they're gonna get some big kids, they're gonna beat a couple of big teams here and there, and they're gonna get some momentum. And next thing you know, they're in the hunt for stuff. So you know, that's hats off to Don. He's doing a nice job up there.
1: Yeah, the other one would be Lindenwood. They they you know, they beat Ohio State. They went five with uh, Loyola. They went five with ball state. They beat us in five. Like I think they're, they're playing some good volleyball. So you could see them kind of, you know, certainly continue to make some strides in the MIVA as well as in the conference tournament.
2: Yeah. yeah I think the other one you got to plug in is, uh, is George Mason. Um, you know, obviously given the, the slow start that they had with some young guys and some inexperience, I mean, you, they've obviously got back on track and obviously uh, sent, sent charleston their first loss and you know obviously beat beat dan at lewis and you know have really strung together a, a nice couple of wins here so i you know i think those three teams would be teams that for sure are in the mix for that title
4: oh, yeah. shucks,
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, by I'm the way the venmo's,
3: venmo's on your way on the way Theo. oh fantastic <laughs>
2: fantastic i was wondering if you had gotten that link you didn't respond so <laughs>
0: Well, I'm going to throw one out there because uh, I know from working the play by play broadcast. And honestly, I didn't know a whole bunch about this coach up until probably right after COVID. And um, it's Brad on the screen, UC San Diego. Uh, because knowing in my time and speaking with Charlie and your coaching back, I just saw you as an assistant in the background, Brad. But, you know, UC San Diego, great location access to a bunch of really good athletes in Southern California. And if you chose to, you can go out and get others from other areas, because who's not going to come want to San Diego and hang out at the beaches. I'm not going to say the black beach because everyone looks to that first, but it's a wonderful <laughs> area, excellent academic program. And you are, you have the ability to get players coached by you, which whom you, you know, my, my analyst guy speaks very highly of you. And uh, after speaking to you in our pre-match prep before the broadcast, I'm like, oh, my gosh, Brad is like this huge, like, bank of information that looks at the entire development of the athlete from mental, physical, psychological, strategical, analytical. I mean, I'm sure you guys do that, but I I guess I let the, I judged the book by the cover. I'm like, oh, who's this young guy, Brad Rostrader at OCC when we did the uh, uh junior yeah, college they championships they'd be, they'd be, but they'd be, they'd be. hearing you talk when we are calling the play i was like whoa that's a well,
3: lot and and you know you you called him a bank of information let's hope he's not a silicon bank of information <laughs> that's a,
0: but no <laughs> other rob you,
3: you you nailed it right there you know brad obviously is a coach that we're all aware of we've known brad for years and the fact that he got a chance to be at a good program with a with a good name and a good location all those things it's only a matter of time before San Diego's back in the mix with everything. So yeah, congratulations to Brad.
4: So that's a we great got a lot first of work story. out of us. That's for sure. We just got to get better today. And that's way, that's way out there.
0: <laughs> yeah, I know it's the post-Cal Macaulay era, but I'm telling you, <laughs> some good things in store for UC San Diego. So, and that's not just tooting the horn, that's a honest non-bias assessment for all you who want to like throw salt at me, which I don't mind. <laughs>
1: all right. I'm sure Brad's going to send you Venmo too, buddy. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the
4: Venmo you'll see it when, you, when you get off the zoom. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump into what I pulled off of Volley Talk. And this one user had a bunch of questions about recruiting. So I'm going to hit one and we'll try and go through the others. and may come back to other ones on there, but I'm going to pull this one just because uh, it was the longest one there. but I thought it was a great question. Um so uh it starts with a recruiting focus from G T Rich, GT Rich, we'll we'll call it that. But when they, I'm assuming the schools bring in a bunch of high-level recruits that are studs on their current team, how do they handle set expectations about playing time when that kid may now be <clears throat> third or fourth behind existing players on their college team? I'm not going to read the examples, but you guys, I'm sure, took a or perused it. So who wants to jump in on that one?
3: It's an, easy, it's an easy answer. First of all, we're completely honest with every, at least me. I'm, and I'm going to say that probably every coach at some point says roughly the same thing during the recruiting visit. You tell kids, look, it's not going to be easy. I'm bringing in the kids in your position. One of the best things about coming to school X is that you're going to play with some of the best players in the country. One of the worst things about coming to school X is that some of them are going to be in your position. If you like competition and you thrive under that type of environment, you'll be okay. And then the chips fall where they may. I don't promise any playing time to anybody. I don't care if you're a true freshman, fifth year senior. You, if you're producing, you'll play. And if you're not, then you work and you get
2: better.
0: That's it. Anything to add? Another one else? Everyone on the screen?
2: No? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think Jay hit it on the head. Um, you know, you, you, you're you open and honest with everybody. Uh, and I think that's the only way to do it, right? Is to talk about the fact that, it's about production and it's about being a great teammate it's about putting in that work and the reality is every kid is a little bit different in terms of how they respond to that competition um, there are some kids that absolutely thrive in it and there's others that have to work at it becoming something that's normal right the understanding that the grind and the process of building with really no guarantees because I think that, you know, for the listeners and people that are trying to understand what it's like to be a Division One player, you can give it your absolute best. Get extra reps, ask questions, learn, and really improve throughout your career and still never set foot in the starting lineup. Um, and... I think for a lot of players, that is a really, really difficult thing. It's a difficult concept because most of them, like you said, and and like it was stated in that question, most of them are the best on their team when they get here. And so to drop down and be third, fourth, fifth on the depth chart um, is a really difficult task. Uh, But that's also the part that's most exciting, right? To watch these kids develop because typically what they learn is that they see themselves grow as individuals, And regardless of whether they find that role to be the star player, um, they still find the best versions of themselves and that role becomes something that they can carry with them throughout the rest of their life. At least that's that's the goal for me.
4: Yeah. And the other piece to that question is like, obviously the coach's side is pretty simple, especially for us, but as the players, like most players that we talk to aren't seeking out the path of least resistance to make it into a starting lineup. They know they're coming in and there's going to be juniors and seniors at their position. And they are eager to take on that challenge. And you know, especially a lot of freshmen come in with the perspective like, yeah, I got to kind of get my legs underneath me and kind of ex- learn how to lift more, learn how to manage the workload in the classroom, learn how to train at a very, very high level, five to six days a week to where high school, a lot of the best players can cruise through high school practice. and be just fine, you know, and not that they do that every single day, but it's a different level of mental fortitude that's needed to perform at this level consistently. Um, And that's what the the players want. None of them want to be promised a starting spot. They want to know that the coach is going to be fair, honest with them and put the team first always, and really like have a connection and a relationship with those individuals that they can have conversations about what they need to get better at what they're doing well, what they're struggling with and, and really everything in between.
1: There's um, I agree. I, what you guys said was great. I do think there's a, how you paint the picture. Like, like you're, you're talking about the thing where they brought up UCLA and USC or UCLA and even Hawaii right now, as we might, those are in different spaces than the four of us in terms of a couple of things in terms of, Hey, I'm John Sprouls at UCLA. as our national team coach. He's got access to what I think is probably, you know, the top 10 kids in the country every year. Do you know what I mean? I don't have that access. You know what I mean? In terms of that, I might throw a darter at the board. And for some reason, Lewis might be the fit for that kid. Maybe he's aviation. Maybe there's something going on. But there is a little bit of that sometimes about understanding. I've been doing this, this is my 20th year coming up next year. And it's like knowing what type of kids fit my mold and when I'm recruiting that fit into my system becomes really really important. It doesn't mean you never reach out of that side of that, but you have to understand when you're recruiting what that looks like and how that fits and what types of kids you work with best. Uh, I think the other side of that is like there are going to be times when they say the setting position timing wise the picture might paint where that kid's going to come in train a year behind this current guy and then have the opportunity to start. And there's plenty of times in positions where that picture is painted timing wise and it works really out really well when you're recruiting. Now you're not guaranteeing him anything but it puts it in his position where it's like, he has the opportunity to be that guy for you. Uh, And you can tell him that you have this opportunity to be that guy for me, because timing wise, this is going to work out really well in terms of growth and maturity and all those things. And so there's just so many layers, I think, that go into it in terms of when you paint the picture for the recruits that you're selling and how you're doing that. And so they understand uh, where your program's at and the vision of your program and where they might fit into your program in terms of that. And it could be different for, hey, I'm recruiting a guy that I see making this impact. And then I see a guy that really wants us, and I'm not sure how he's going to turn out. So he's kind of this, you know, kind of under the radar kid that, shoot, we make a living on, do you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, he turns out to be this stud. And so I think uh, there's another side with that a little bit.
3: Yeah, and just, I know we've got a lot of questions. I don't want to take a lot of time, but the recruiting landscape has changed, too. You know, back in, in 10 years ago, just 10 years ago. There were maybe 50 kids that were, you know, really top level blue chip kind of kids. And now with the influx of foreign kids, the ability of college or club coaches to train better and kids are getting better. There's more programs. We used to scramble just to get a kid by the fall of their, you know, their their senior year or whatever. Now, if you don't get a kid by the fall, you still got until April, you know, March, April, and there's still really good kids out there. Uh, and that's, that's a, a really good sign for us because Dan's right. You know, we don't have access to the top 10 players in the country. And and my assistant, and I talk about it all the time. It's not because we don't think they deserve to be in our gym or, or that, that you know, we deserve to have them in our gym. It's because I don't want to get in that shark tank. You know, it, I don't have all the bells and wh- we don't have all the bells and whistles that uh, UCLA has. We don't have all the access to, you know, 14 different recruit, uh nutritional stations, and, you know, gyms that are 10,000 seat arenas night after night, we don't have all that stuff. My locker room is tiny compared to UCLA's, it looks like a bathroom in a, in a mansion. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, you know, we got to go after certain kids that fit our molds and fit our personalities. Uh, and that's part of the fun, I think.
0: Well, if you had the uh, Gatorade refrigerator like Theo does, I think yeah, you'd have a different you know, dynamic <laughs> of your team.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's all smoke and
0: mirrors. We have a Gatorade fridge. That thing's on the fritz,
1: buddy. And I've had it like.
2: <laughs> Come to CSUN. Plenty of Gatorade. Uh, <laughs> plenty of Gatorade.
4: It's the recruiting pitch. <laughs> yeah,
1: recruiting violation. We
3: can't
4: do this. <laughs> but how bad does the fridge smell?
2: <laughs> that's the it actually is fantastic. Just cleaned it out about a couple weeks ago great here i see a I couple he, of he,
1: adult bevies in there <laughs> i think the interesting thing is like those are all hidden
2: jay
1: it, <laughs> we talk we talk about a top program i think sometimes it's like they go and they become the fourth or fifth guy in that gym where that guy could come to one of our gyms and be an all-american all-conference player and that's a tough sell sometimes <laughs> you're like hey come here and help us compete for a national championship or go to a program that is already three or four deeper where you're at and that's a and that just becomes on the kid a little bit. You know what I mean? It's like, can you can you sell that pitch and make him see your vision during mean, a little bit in terms of that?
0: Yeah. Well, good stuff from you guys. That's uh, That was a question from GT Rich or Get Rich, I just realized as I was reading through there. So uh, we're going to jump to our next question. Uh, Thor is the username. So uh, we know it's not Jakob Tella because he wouldn't ask this question of himself. But... Uh, Here's a tough question: What D1 playing venue, in your experience, was the most bizarre? It could involve strange fan behavior, dimensions mm-hmm. of the venue, proximity of playing area to fan seating, extracurricular activities, both entertaining or strange. <laughs> I what I'm going to start this
1: off. So we played at Grand Canyon, <laughs> and so Grand Canyon's not their big arena, the small little black gym that you know is is really tight and on top of you the fans get on you so there was a kid in the stands already heck it's like the matches at seven he's there at five thirty with a sign for me already heckling me and i walked in the door I
0: was like what did the sign like, say that's what
1: i have. i like like he has heckled me already and they, it was a two-match series and they had been there the night before and uh you know the fans were pretty they can get on you and it can be a tough place to play. Do you know what I mean? It's loud, but I couldn't believe that. I walk in the next day, the guys just laughed. He was already there. had to sign (laughs) something coach friend or whatever.
3: (laughs) I think a lot of us have had many experiences over the years. One of my uh, memories is playing in Loyola's old gym uh, before they got their new one. And there was a track above the, the court where everybody was. And obviously our trainer you know, would put waters on top of the cooler for the guys in the next time out and a bunch of the fans up above would drop pennies into the, into the water down below and, you know, there's, there was a little bit of close access uh, and some unsavory words here and there. And, and, and listen, it, it's there's lots of places that have that kind of stuff, but everybody has cool memories, I'm sure. Uh,
1: Loyola was unique. I, I don't think Brad and Thea were, they might have been in high school or junior high or something. I don't know. think <laughs> <laughs> so. But, Lorela, you go play there, and the feet are hanging down, you know what I mean, and the ball hits the rafters a hundred times because it's, like, 15 feet high, and I don't even know how you legally could play a match in there, do you know
2: what I mean? It was – I remember when Pepperdine used to have these huge cylinder lights that hung down, and, I mean, it was probably the worst gym ever for volleyball, (laughs) like, absolutely worst. Those lights were hanging at, like, 20 feet, maybe 25 feet, and so – literally before we go play Pepperdine the entire practice was about us trying to throw the ball at things that are in the ceiling in the gym so that we can prepare for like getting stopped and moving because it's really not like nothing else that you would ever see right I think they recently replaced those lights and now they've got a little bit better system but uh, yeah those old school gyms man tons of tons of fun memories there yeah, Marv designed Firestone specifically in a certain spots
4: where, where there'd be more good passes, more high passes. Uh, <laughs> and for me, mine's uh it goes back to Santa Barbara, Rob Jim, uh not so much anymore, but they used to have the fans and alumni right behind the bench. and, and it would even be like guys who had quit the team or red shirting right behind the bench. And they would just be heckling the coaches constantly and heckling the guys on the bench constantly. And it was a ton of really funny stuff. There was. Uh, there was a season with Chip McCaw and myself sitting at the end of the bench and they just kept like comparing us to like TV father and son duos every single time we would come and sit down and it was just so priceless and so funny there was a couple that made us laugh and we had to actually like turn back give him a smirk uh it was just great creative and and so, so captivating. And, Lewis, and just one
3: plug for Lewis at, at university. I remember when I was at Penn state, uh, we went out there for a match and, and Dan had, it was ESPN game day uh, theme. And they had guys <laughs> that brought signs and all that stuff. And you on know, the background, they're all hanging the signs up. And my favorite sign to this day, some guys holding it up as we're walking in the gym and are <laughs> our next to each other. And the sign said, have eats his subway sandwiches sideways <laughs> and have literally laughed so hard. He actually walked up to the guy and said, that's so funny. That's a great sign. So uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Stuff.
1: When Arnie came in around his retirement year, I got the rocking oversized rocking chair from one of the other halls and put it at his first chair. He was not very happy with it. <laughs> I
4: love it. <laughs>
1: what's that the usc gym uh the small one the, the north band. gym the oh gym. we played there and the band the whole entire band was there and they were all up up top you know what i mean and they were all i mean you, like i had no idea you couldn't hear you couldn't think it was tough so.
0: <laughs> all great stuff memories and uh little intricacies of certain venues for sure let's uh jump to our next next question here soldier 808 hmm, wonder if they're from hawaii uh, most memorable moment as a coach or a player, um, who wants to take a, a stab at that one first?
2: Oh. You know, when I, when I saw this question, Rob, I was like, there's been a lot of really great volleyball moments, right? In my career, both as a player, obviously as a coach. Um, but the one that sticks out the most has really nothing to do with volleyball at all. Um, we recently had a kid who won the Cal Hope award. Uh, for courage, his name is Nathan Marin, and he went through one of the most gnarly last three years that I can remember to date uh, with with any one of our athletes. And specifically, he lost his brother in a pretty tragic car accident um, that dealt with some mental health stuff. Um, and he, it was right around the time when he had become a freshman. He was living in the dorms. Right, the pandemic hits, and he's due to like a clerical issue, essentially, he ended up being ineligible, Uh, like somebody missed a unit at his high school or something along those lines. And it wasn't picked up till before the school started. And so he's alone in the dorms. He spends that entire year training by himself, can't practice with the team, he's ineligible, the next year, his brother dies. And it's at a point in the fall when he's our starter. I mean, he's playing great, ends up, really losing himself uh, losing track of the team he leaves the team and literally we don't hear from him for about five months and I'm talking to his parents and essentially just saying hey I know he's going through a lot if he ever wants to come back we're here and it's not this isn't about volleyball I just know that he needs some structure and if he ever wants to be a part of this again we would love to have him back and he finds a way to be resilient and starts to get his life back, Um, comes back and, and again, had a tremendous fall in his now his third season and, and is now a a huge contributing part of our team and uh, has had a great season to date. Uh, But watching him go through that process and seeing him now be at a place where he can smile, where he's a part of our team and, has been resilient as hell, has been incredibly emotional but probably the most rewarding and most memorable thing that's happened to me as a coach and or player that I've seen so far.
0: All right, I've got a ride on that one because I went and found the ESPN article on it and uh, this was a quote from uh, Marin himself it said what allowed me to get out of my funk was to embrace my brother's death and not pretend nothing happened. Marin cool. said, I chose to surround myself with people I love, my family, and the Sun volleyball team. I learned that whenever I am sad, if I express my feelings, I can get the support and love I need. And then it follows up in the next paragraph. He set out the three games of season to make sure he was ready physically and mentally before making his debut. He has since become a starter and is one of the Matadors' top players. Also made the Dean's list during the fall semester. So uh wow, that's a uh sitting dusty in here. <laughs> We're turning on the dust in my house here. <laughs> It's a great story, so that's an excellent story. Thank you for sharing that. Theo, that's a absolutely how did I miss that? I think I saw the social on that, but didn't get to read into the details of what happened. But
2: yeah, they actually invited both us and Nathan, uh, to the LAFC uh soccer game last night. They actually honored him at halftime of the game. It was, it was pretty, pretty electric, pretty awesome experience for both our, our team and for Nathan.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, gosh, how do you go from there? i like, I'm like. <laughs> I'm like do I throw in a little uh, lighthearted something, but man, that's a that's a phenomenal story. I'll, I'll throw it out to the other coaches. <laughs> share share a memorable experience. I know it's really hard to follow, but hey. <laughs> it is. Who's gonna follow that? <laughs>
3: no one wants a yeah, it, it's tough like <laughs> well it's, it's like it's like following uh jerry seinfeld you know on the late night saturday
2: show like how do you what well, are you gonna
1: I'll, do i'll give. i'll get to. Uh, i mean uh 2012 uh we upset ohio state at ohio state to make the ncaa tournament that was pretty cool in five in the fifth game so and that would have been a culmination of me kind of rebuilding the program uh over the past you know whatever that was uh 10, 12 years, you know what I mean? So that was a pretty cool, pretty cool opportunity in terms of that. My other one would be uh, watching, we had Ray, she was in the hospital 115 days. My wife goes back to coaching while Ray's in the hospital, wins the conference championship, wins the conference tournament and makes the NCAA tournament while we all went through having her. So that was uh, from an outside fan and watching that was pretty like, pretty resilient in terms of that doing me. so those would be my my couple so yeah
2: yeah I, I legitimately thought we were living in a simulation at that point dan i remember talking to you and and uh you know obviously following what your wife was doing and following what your team was doing and talking to you about your daughter and just thinking this guy's superman like i don't i don't know how this is happening or how your family is doing this but that was a pretty magical period of time man
0: yeah thanks well, and from that, you have the RayStrong.org going on, yeah. which are providing support, financial support to families who are going through similar experiences. So
1: that'd be um, like TJ Murray. Work. I'm just going to say RayStrong.org every time.
0: Have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> TJ made it again. Darn it. <laughs>
3: well, I'll, uh, there's two that stick out for me. Uh, one was working with the men's national team from 2005 to 2008 when... We won the gold medal uh, at Beijing and and all the all the extracurricular activities off the court that happened to Hugh's father-in-law and all that stuff going on and working every single day for four years with that group of guys. Uh, And then to watch it all culminate with a gold medal, that was that was pretty special. And the other one uh, obviously is is winning the IVA title when I got my job at George Mason the first year. Uh, being able to show that to the alumni and have them be proud to wear their shirts and, and the fans back home and, you know, kind of put that program back on the map, so to speak, and, and help, you know, propel it to the next level for for the next few years. So those are pretty special memories for me. But really, I'm with Theo. The, obviously, the volleyball stuff is great. Those are great memories. But really, it's all the people you meet and all the friendships you create and all that stuff over the years. That's the real. That's the real gold nuggets, if you will.
4: Yeah. Brad? You're the last of the crew. There's so much volleyball stuff and like, there's so many things you think back at, you know, and like, even like this past year, like watching David win a national championship with Texas, like that's a moment that is re- always been impactful and really powerful. And I think back at when I first left Pepperdine to take the Vanguard job and going back up and driving back up with Sean Rooney to go watch them win the NPSF championship uh, and punch their ticket into the NCAA tournament and And kind of like being able to be there for those guys um, afterwards and give them hugs was um, a pretty special moment. And also like kind of a good, like good shifting uh, mentally from kind of leaving those guys behind to moving forward um, to what's next for me in the coaching career. And then, you know, going to weddings and seeing players that I've coached get married and being there at those weddings has been some really special moments and some really unique times and you know it's it's so much about the people whether it's coaches you're coaching with against um, players you're recruiting that don't come to your school players you're recruiting that do come to your school Um, all those connections and relationships are just are so awesome and so special and so unique to at least to our world in men's volleyball i don't know how it translates to other sports and other other coaching professions
0: yeah and just for clarification, that wasn't a makeup for us taking jabs at David Hunt last week's show before uh, <laughs> we started asking about USC Pepperdine tensions this week, potentially. But we got a lot of love for Dave Hunt. And uh, you know, he's out there struggling in Hawaii, coaching the Texas Beach program, apparently. So uh, And golfing, sending pictures of golf courses at 80 degrees <laughs> while we're in the rain. So uh, you gotta ready- post those scores, Dave Hunt. I'm watching your handicap. <laughs> well let's jump forward to our next question and it's kind of a shift in gears so to speak it's from noble soul and it's a have they ever have you guys known or heard of coaches who trash talked and have you guys personally trash talked ever
3: (laughs) what the the question is is kind of confusing because are they talking about like during a match trash talking i know that there's been some coaches that have trash talk programs when recruiting Uh, which is unfortunate but um during a match i don't necessarily i've never seen a coach trash talk maybe they question a call or maybe they're they're you know overemphasizing something i myself if i see a guy doing one of these throws i might overemphasize how bad it looks in front of the guy that did it but it's not like i'm trash talking but i I don't think our coaches do those kinds of things during matches
1: i would uh i've had some stink eyes at the end of a match when you beat somebody they don't like to lose to you do you know what i mean but that would probably be the extent of like pete hansen was the best at it <laughs> 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 uh, you know but, but probably the most i've ever had is like sometimes uh not a trash talking but having a conversation with the setter at the net on the other team do you know what i mean and so like if i've got him paying attention to me then that's great why are you paying attention to me i'm just over here hanging out dude you know <laughs> So, but usually <laughs> it's more of a it's more of a playful banner not a not a negative thing at all in re- any regards so
2: yeah I'd say Jeff Campbell was pretty good at that Dan he would uh he would approach the net on a pretty regular basis after the opposite would make an error right. and the whole team would know that whatever he says to the setter we're going to block that so he'd go up there and he'd be like they're not setting back they're not setting back and the whole yeah. team's like, all right we're blocking back <laughs> to look right at Jeff and then set back and then the whole team would go get it he did I, that actually on a pretty Oh, I remember
1: because I'd be <laughs> like Jeff you're too close to the line get away from it get, get next to the line.
2: it's
4: not fair <laughs> how about you Brad any any experiences yeah not I mean not so much at all like occasionally like you'll talk or someone will be asking the down ref something you'll be like how'd you see that like that's no, well, that wasn't at all what happened. Um, and the guys will now with the challenge. It's funny. The guys will kind of chirp through the net a little bit and talk like, oh, coach, I didn't touch it. I didn't touch it and try to talk you in in or out of a challenge one way or the other. But uh, yeah, like for the most part, you kind of know them all and it's all more like in jest rather than uh, than true trash talking. <laughs> then you
0: see all the coaches hanging out afterwards, grabbing beers at the hotel. So it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah.
4: Again, Absolutely. I would
1: say that's probably one of the big differences between men's and women's volleyball is that camaraderie piece post matches. You know what I mean? Or post just season wise. You so know what I mean? In terms of that. So I, I to piggyback on that in men's
3: volleyball, when another team is in their serve and pass on a on way trip, the home coach usually will come in and chat with the coach and and you know make sure they got everything they need. And nine times out of 10, they end up staying there and chatting for 10, 15, 20 minutes while their serving pass is going on. You would never see that on the women's side. Never. Really? They, they would be so anti anybody watching, anybody being a part of it. If somebody's looking through the window, they're you know telling <laughs> somebody to come. It's like, really? What, what are you gonna learn at a serving pass for Christ's sakes?
0: Oh. <laughs> Well, I'll only add that, so this week, you know, I was working, uh, I pitched some video or posted some video on the uh, Penn State match, and it's a conversation I had with uh, Charlie online. We're just kind of killing time because it's during a timeout, and what Charlie said was, the world of men's volleyball is different. It's truly Ohana, and it's like family, because where else are you going to find opposing coaches and staffs hanging out and chilling inside the venue, as you said, Jay, and, you know, he's known Pab for, you know, 30-something years, and, And for the most part, you guys have had relationships. I don't think people know that. You you guys are at all these ABCA conferences, you're recruiting together, you're hanging out. It's not like this brutal stab knife. Hey, you know, screw you, stank guy. But for the most part, what I've seen, and I consider myself an outsider, it's true. I I go to the hotel when I'm at like, uh, let's say any kind of USA event, you go down to the the hotel bar, who's all hanging out? All you guys, you know, so (laughs) it's 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 legit and i'm surprised to hear that the women's side is that way because you're a bunch of friendly guys like i think i know them from the men's side and they're bringing that over but for the most part i would have never known that about the women's uh you know from game match time to practicing to these tournaments that they're all at i just had no idea that the attention was like that (laughs) so interesting dynamic and a different definitely huge difference 100 true so um (laughs) <laughs> here's one for all of us i thought was great from wilbur the user wilbur on volley talk um, <laughs> i like how they call us all old timers but would it would be it would be fun to hear the perspective and somehow i got included in that but i'm going to let you guys answer it um what are the biggest changes to the game since you started coaching or played i'm not going to list the things they have i'm going to have you guys take a stab at whatever you want to grab from that question well, a, I and Jay
1: could have an hour long podcast ourselves and answer this question, if not <laughs> longer.
4: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Young guys, you go first. How about that? So
4: yeah. I think for yeah. me, it's evolution has been out of system volleyball and just how effective it has become. You know, I remember my first year coaching, it was setting the ball five feet off, five feet in, and you know, airing high and off always. And now that that paradigm shift has completely flipped the script, at least for most programs. And kind of seeing that and seeing how efficient teams are out of system has been probably the biggest specific change that I've noticed and I've seen. you know, and it's obviously been needed with what the servers are able to do from the end line. Uh, but that out of system philosophy, out of system attacking, the overall range that even kind of includes some of the junk jam throws that we were talking about last week, um, all that plays into that. But just pins are so much better in those phases um, than they had been in the past.
2: Yeah, yeah, I, I I totally echo all the things that Brad said. You know, I I recently came across some of the video uh, of when I played back in 2010 um and we had gone to the final four that year our team was number one in the country at, at multiple weeks that season and lost to jay in the semis which <laughs> still really hurts in a lot of ways uh, especially since like three weeks before that we smacked you guys and it wasn't even close but anyways <laughs> i digress i digress um I, I think i think one of the things that has changed dramatically is the speed of the game, the definition of out of system. Um, the tempos to the pins obviously has escalated through the roof. I mean, the difference between what we were seeing from the national championship Stanford, you know, back in 2010 to what we're seeing Grand Canyon do with the go ball. I mean, it's it might as well be a different game uh, to a certain extent. The BIC, right? The evolution of the BIC and the speed of it. You know, in watching, if you guys watch that, that outrigger tournament, there wasn't a team in the gym that could stop the BIC and most of the, the wing blockers are peeling out and, you know, I think across the country, even in the national team gym and at the highest levels, the BIC is incredibly difficult to defend, especially because of how fast we're going to the pins. It's just really tough to do both. Um, And then I think the definition of what is out of system, right? It used to be passes that were eight to 14 feet off the net were absolutely out of system. Now in our gym and gyms across the country, those are tempo balls. Those are tempo sets going to the pins. And back to kind of what Brad's talking about, the definition and success of what teams are doing out of system is why we're starting to see teams hitting 500 for a match. I mean, just 10 years ago, 500 for the match was absolutely ludicrous. I mean, if you were hitting 300 to 350 every night, you were a top three team. Um, And those days were kind of gone. The best teams are are doing it at an even higher clip, which is just absolutely incredible. Yeah.
0: Excellent. All right. Who wants to take the next stab there?
2: (laughs) Uh, You know. I'm
3: sure Dan and I are, are we're, we're, the dinosaurs on this one for sure. I i, I, I played in the nineties. Here's
1: how old we are Jake coached me in a tournament in where were we at? Aruba. You were in Aruba. He was the coach. I was playing. That's how much <laughs> older Jay is just so
0: everybody knows. I thought you were going to say that. It was you guys that were the, uh, the body doubles in the uh, original top gun volleyball scene. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, listen, I, I, I watched some videos back in the nineties when I played the speed of the game is absolutely 100% the biggest thing that's changed. When you were playing back in the day, you could, if you were good enough, and I I believe UCLA trained this, you could commit with the middle and still get to the outside or a pin and still block with a double block up there. Um, That's how slow it was back in the day. Now, Now, teams are in system, eight to 10 feet off for the quicks, let alone the pins, but they're still in system for the quicks. And then you got a Bic or a 40 coming over the top. And then you got to worry about the pins getting stuff in system. And, and he's right. I mean, you look at Grand Canyon, Hickman's running a third step go. That's ridiculous. That is so high risk, high reward. It's not even funny. And obviously they're doing it pretty well because you have a setter that can put it in a good spot every time. But yeah, the speed of the game, if you're a blocker nowadays, if you're a young kid watching this, learn how to block and use your eyes to see what you're seeing. And then even then, most coaches are saying, look, just go be good on your guy. And we'll go one-on-one all day long. And it's all we could do. Cause it's nearly impossible to be able to keep up and get, and get two guys to a pin when somebody's in system.
0: Yep. I would probably,
1: yep. uh, they hit pretty good on some game stuff just in the past five or six years, but I do think the mental aspect post COVID the playing anxiety, the things we're dealing with on a totally different level that I wasn't touching 10, 15 years ago. I think it's a it's a huge area. Do you know what I mean? Like I think when you're coaching now, you have to be a little bit more attentive to how kids are feeling and what they need and what's going to help them become the best. And if you're not, you're doing a disservice to your kids. And you could say you're babying them, but I think there's a there's a give and take with that a little bit to understanding about what they might need and what they're going through and what's going on, along with that. I think the social media aspect of the game has literally blown up in the last three or four years. You think about all the different platforms and kids are using TikTok and Snapchat. And Shoot, we started a TikTok men's volleyball last year and we're over 50,000 now. You know what I mean? And I know uh, McMaster or is it Masters is crushing it on the social media aspect in terms of that. So it's like, if you're not in that social media space and honestly, we don't even have our SID run our social media. I meet with three guys a week that run our social media and we have a calendar weekly of how we drive the content and what we're doing every day in terms of that. And like what posts we're doing. And sometimes we'll do two posts a day. And I just think, uh, I don't know. I think those are two big areas for me that I've learned a lot about. And not that I didn't have some mental background stuff with my undergrad and master's, but I just learned so much in the past few years and how to address
0: that with our current student athletes. So. Yeah. All right. I know we are, it's crazy how quickly an hour goes. So I think we're going to do two more. Is that cool? Then pick our, wow, matches to watch next week and our uh, players or coaches pick of top players of the week. But um, gosh, I don't even know what to choose here because there's like a lot of good ones, some funny ones too. So, uh, but I am going to go to, um, I can't find the one about... Oh, we'll go to this one right here. Um you'll like this one. Why aren't visiting teams able to stream their non-hosting matches? And uh wonder where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about it a little bit before going on. So uh who wants to jump in first? Well, I guess Theo, you should tell them why they can't
1: right now in Hawaii, and then maybe they'll understand. So
2: yeah, and I, I think it it all for Hawaii's purposes, it all stems back to spectrum. Right. And Rob, I think you tweeted about this early in the week um, after kind of figuring out that they weren't going to be streaming the non-Hawaii matches. Um, but I think that it has something to do with or this is probably a better guess than anything else. But this probably has more to do with the fact that that Spectrum is the sole streamer or the sole producer of any events that are happening in their gym, in the stand share of gym. Um, and I don't know if that means that Hawaii is unable to set a stagnant camera or something that can just at least pick up a live feed. Um, but it's really a disservice. And I think as we look forward to the outrigger in years to the future, if we're gonna have some of the top teams in the country competing in in venues like Hawaii, we got to come up with a solution. and it's it's really, in in my eyes, it's 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 not an option to have two or three of the top teams in the country competing and those matches not be viewable the volleyball is too good the level of of the product is 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 too outstanding for it to just not be viewed live um so that that comment got me a little upset just because as i was as i was watching these matches and i'm, I'm tuning in on volley i'm just like this isn't right. You, these need to be streamed. Every single one of these matches should be streamed. And I, and I would say that's that's the case across the country. But let alone a top three or a top four program not being streamed is is absolutely ridiculous.
0: Good take. Anyone want to jump in? Well, actually I actually had a question for you, Theo, or actually all of you too, a follow-up question. But as someone who doesn't have access to the volley metrics, is that going live? Every match to the coach? No, or? no
2: to answer your question, is not. Um, it comes up after the fact. And in addition to that, there's, for most of us, this is not everyone's gym, but for most of us, we have the volumetrics camera, which is a security camera without a microphone. And so you lose, although you do get the feed and you can obviously watch the match, you lose the atmosphere. You don't get to see that in Hawaii, they had close to 10,000 people Cheering, and the what really gave Hawaii the ability to fight back in those sets against UCLA was they had ten thousand people pulling for them, and so yeah, that's that's the the downside to going the volumetrics route for for the avid listener or the avid fan. You're you're going to lose some of the atmosphere that's happening in that gym. yep All
0: right, Theo uh, busted his take. Anyone else want to jump in on the? Uh... Lack of streaming for I, to me. You know, there's another to
4: piece too with the universities, and you know, and not every university is equal or the same. But you know, the university when it's at a neutral site or the host school, the university is generally providing game management staff, which is security. They're providing people to be running the stats, um, which is going to the live stats. They're running people to run the scoreboard, um, maybe even running people to run the challenge system and CRS. So there's a lot of staffing that goes into it. And even if you're just putting up a live stream of a stagnant camera, you know, on the end line, which is, you know, I agree, we should have at that at the bare minimum for every single match, um, regardless of ranking or where you're at. Um, but then it's taking more people to ensure that live stream is up and running. It's taking more people to set it up. Um, so just from a pure university and the staffing game event management standpoint, that's where this situation usually comes up. Um, This sounds like this Hawaii outrigger situation is a little bit different, Um, but that's one piece where it's tough. And that's where you'll see some teams maybe do like an Instagram live or different situations up at the Santa Barbara tournament. That's what some teams were doing. Um, And we tried to do that for one of our matches at Grand Canyon. Um, And then our phone holder didn't didn't have a spot within the gym for us to be able to set it up. So, yeah, there's always a little bit of different factors that come into play with it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'll add that, you know, the venue I work at, um, ESPN has exclusive to broadcast content in the Brent Event Center. And from my understanding of it, even people who are Instagram living or YouTube live, whatever they're trying to stream through whatever platform, the staff will shut you down because ESPN does have exclusive content no matter how it's being streamed out. So, um, you know, I know that there's some people that that, can do that, that I've offered to do that, but they're limited because of you know, agreements with the venue. So that's all I wanted to add in regards to that. So um, Dad, did you have anything else to add to the streaming? Nope. Well, I, on that note, I have to thank uh, one of the Volley Talk users for offering to get one of his Island Bros to stream the match through whatever platform it was. I didn't get to watch it because I was in, like I said, singing in traffic, and uh, apparently... <laughs> He got some guy to do it, so uh, which uh, kudos out to him. Got some payments. I think he got some random student to do it for him, but he got some pay. So uh, appreciate for making that offer. Um, I'm going to close out with this question because it's fitting in. Because Jay, his his area is hosting the NCAA National Championships this year. Yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. Um, But how is the greater Fairfax, D.C. area going to promote the NCAA tournament this year? I put well, a Pandora's box on this so, but...
3: no it's it's actually a pretty simple answer so obviously the NCAA is doing the majority of the promotion at least on the national level uh for us locally you know we, we've got invites out to all the local area clubs and volleyball area uh volleyball supporters um you know we're putting up some signs around town and around campus to kind of get people starting to get hyped but it's all starting right now uh it, it, it I, everybody wonders, why don't you do this in December? Why aren't you doing this, you know, in January? The reality is, is that people forget things. And although you may be driving around town and you might see a sign in January, it says, you know, national championships coming. The reality is if you go through that town a lot, you, you kind of blank you blind out those signs after a while and it doesn't really register. You want to be a fresh new imprint. So all that stuff is starting to go up now around town, around campus. You know, we're, we're, I think we're going to have a pretty good ticket sale turnout. Uh, I know last time we were supposed to host it. Host it by February, we had already sold four thousand seats. I'm pretty sure it's going to be somewhere around that right now. Might even be a little bit more. I haven't checked recently, but the marketing department's doing a good job. They're they're on top of it. They want to be, you know, they want to hit a home run, and we want to make sure that we put on a good show because you never know when we want to host it again in the future. We want to be looked at favorably, so uh, it's going
0: good. And what I'm else want to hang on, on the.
1: Yeah, I was gonna add in. So USA is doing uh N T D B accelerator. So that'll bring a lot of boys to the area. So that clinic's going on over the weekend. Uh so that'll be really nice. The AVCA board of directors is also meeting in Fairfax at their championships. Uh for the uh, so that'll not, that'll be good for the board there as well. So there's a couple other things I know that are going on.
0: Good stuff. Speaking of did do you guys have anything to add in regards to the national championships, Brad or uh, Theo? I just wanted to also mention uh this year announced the AVCA um Kathy DeBoer retiring after I don't have the amount of years of service, but thankful for her support and, and her service to men's volleyball. And we also put a lobby in for Dan to be supreme leader of the AVCA. Yeah. So that's uh we're we're gonna lobby on that or write in vote. Kevin Barnett was another thing we joked in on uh during the week. So <laughs> Um, with that, I wanted to go to this coming week's matches because there are, as always, some super important matches to watch, and I want to get these coaches' takes on what they are looking at for Week 11, which promises to be a doozy. At least I can say from the Big West, because I think one of the matches is uh, Sea San Diego Part D. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go uh, let's go
4: to Brad and see what he's watching this week. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's Long Beach-Hawaii. That's going to be the the big match to see within the Big West. Um, Long Beach had two good wins over Santa Barbara to kick off their Big West play this past weekend. And then the other one is going to be Charleston getting some more out of conference with Purdue-Fort Wayne. That will be another good test uh, for Charleston as well um, and another chance to really solidify themselves within, that, within their ranking. Uh, I think they're at 12 or somewhere around there. So that'll really kind of lock them in there no, almost for the rest of the year, regardless of whatever happens. Yep. Let's jump over to Dan. What are you watching?
1: Well, Piggyback on the Charleston plays Loyola too. So I think that's another big one. Uh so they got two matches to kind of put themselves in the spot. Uh and then Ohio State Bull State out of our conference. They play twice. Uh so I think this is gonna be pretty impactful. Loyola's made a little bit of separation. Do do those programs split? Does one of them take the take the lead on that and put themselves in a better spot? Uh so I think those will be a couple ones. Uh and I got hey, sorry Theo. This time, Brad, I got you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I called him last time. Calling it again, just so you know. You know what I mean. So uh... <laughs> woo. <laughs> <laughs> There's that salt <sulfur> throwing again.
0: <laughs> well, it's only natural to go over to Theo and what he's not watching. He's not watching Lewis this week. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I think uh similar to Brad, I got my eyes on some of these big West matchups and uh Irvine Santa Barbara. I think it's going to be a lot more interesting than you would make the records out to be. Um, this Santa Barbara team is dangerous. They, if you look at their record alone, they look like a bad team. Uh, and you watched them against Long Beach this past week this team can play and they have some incredibly experienced volleyball players and Irvine has been one of those teams where they've left some on they've left some meat on the bone sort of sort of speak with some of these teams that they've played against I thought they played great against San Diego um it'll be interesting to see if they can bring that same level of execution uh, against Santa Barbara so I think that'll be a really really fun one to watch
0: yeah I caught some of the footage or watched some of the uh, Long Beach Santa Barbara match and I Could not believe how many grinded out rallies there were that were 32nd plus because yeah. Santa Barbara just would not die, you know. They you long Beach would be kind of in a mid celebration, then boop, ball comes up.
2: <laughs> yeah, so good well, call. And I'm now I'm now rooting for McKendree who has Lewis this week. <laughs> I think that'll be a fantastic matchup.
1: Uh, ah, now my Nikki, camera will be
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nikki, Theo's sending you money. We need your Venmo handle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jay, what are you watching?
3: Uh, first of all, I think Rick McLaughlin is combing the UC Santa Barbara campus for anybody who can play middle blocker because they are down to like number six or seven on their depth chart. They've had some injuries. Uh, if they had their two starting middle blockers back in there and healthy, uh, that that's going to be a dangerous match for Irvine. Uh, here's who I'm watching. Besides Long Beach, Hawaii, that's the easy choice. All right, first of all, Charleston, Loyola, and PFW, that's a match that I'll be watching for sure. But here's the one sponsored by Frank's Red Hots. I'm going Damon versus CSUN. That's going to be a battle royale. And uh, I've I've got my money on Theo, but watch out for those Damon guys. They're a little feisty. They got some energy in them. So that's the match I'm going to be watching.
0: All right. And with that, we always becoming a fan favorite is a coach's player of the week picks. So uh, let's go around. We'll start with, uh, let's go with Dan on this one. uh, Sapanis, uh
1: you saw him, we, we've talked about him at Long Beach now, and he's had some okay matches. But he had two back-to-back matches statistically wise where he was pretty good in terms of that. So uh, you're starting to see him kind of kind of get comfortable with uh, Long Beach and what he can do there.
0: Good call. Brad,
4: I got, uh, I believe he was all tournament at outrigger, but Ryan Merck libero yep. from Penn state um, just passed some really good serves. And we've talked about him a little bit, but he's uh, solidifying himself as one of the best liberos in the country. So Ryan Merck for me. All right. And a Jay, who you got? I got Cole Bogner from Penn state set them uh,
3: over the course of the week. They went four and one, they had five matches in seven days. Uh, and led them to i believe a 365 or so attack clip for the entire week um yeah he's my choice for the week for sure got
0: two penn staters on there already but who you got Someone- yeah
2: i think i'm sticking with the penn state train um you know and in, in serving hawaii that loss, cal fisher 12 kills hit almost 400 uh pretty impressive and then toby easy is- easy Onu. is that how you pronounce his last name Man, 10 kills, hit 533, and was just absolutely electric in that match. So those my two.
0: Great picks, as always. And uh would like to thank all you guys for your contributions and thankful to our listeners for and watchers for tapping in. Be sure to follow all these guys' uh, social media and websites. Check the news. Follow your own programs. You don't have to be necess- – yep, National Championship. Come in May for J. Yes, and Fairfax – but be sure to follow all of their programs. Uh, go go there for their news. Show your support. It's the most passive way to do it. Find out what's happening with their programs, wrestling and volleyball, and uh, get ready because it's going to get even hotter. We are a month and a half out, we'll say, or a month-ish out from conference tournaments happening, which means it's going to get even more chaotic. So um, good luck, gentlemen, this week. Looking forward to catching you and your team's playing. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Sparrow at the Rob on, the Mic on Instagram and at RobOnTheMic on Twitter.